Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods in association with The Hearing Consultancy. TheHearingConsultancy.ie Midlands 103 Hello and welcome to this week's Health and Fitness with me, David Hollywood. Coming up in the programme, very shortly, you'll hear from an Irish Times journalist who's been covering the school versus parents versus children versus mobile phones minefield. After the tragic events of last weekend in Yall, where two competitors died during the course of an Ironman event, Health and Fitness talks to a Westmeath Adventure event organiser about how he observed the decision to proceed with the event in that poor weather. You'll hear from a Midlands GA club who are not only part of the fabric of their community, but they're working restlessly to improve things for the next generation. And Chloe Farrell catches up with affordable counselling Tullamore. There's a number of fundraisers for the service taking place and we thought it would be a good idea to underline why they're so important. First though, Jen Hogan has been all across the country talking to schools and experts on the issue of mobile phones in schools. I started my discussion with her by asking her why there is so much angst around the issue of the child and the mobile phone. Parents and teachers in schools, everybody can see, I suppose, the harmful sides of it but maybe we don't all thoroughly understand the harmful sides of it. And then we have the flip side of that too, where everybody can see or appreciate that there are some benefits. And we live, I suppose, in a time where we're used to people being contactable all the time. And for parents, there's great comfort in that, you know, not being able to get in touch with a child, uh, check where they are, maybe track them on their phone and know that a child can get in in touch if if they're in difficulty. And for schools, there's, the different side of the opposite side of that, where they're trying to, you know, have your schools as an educational environment where you don't have the complexities and the complications and the additional pressures of bullying or external influences and distraction. And trying to manage all that and trying to maintain boundaries is really difficult because we all ultimately have the same goal. We all want what's best for children. But it's very difficult for schools to know when they're overstepping the mark. And parents don't necessarily react very well to being told this is what the rules are. This is what we're doing now. You know, as far as parents are off, are concerned, sometimes these are our children and it's up to parents to make decisions about phones and access and things like that. And then we also suppose have the situation where it isn't even parents' decision. It's it's peer pressure that's ultimately led to, to parents maybe introducing mobile phones and things to their children from far too young an age. So trying to manage all that and trying to navigate all that and trying to remember that we're all on the same side is quite difficult and sometimes I think that gets lost and, and so you have a battle of wills instead of a, a united front. That's a very good way of putting it actually. Um, sometimes maybe the, the merit of what we're discussing is lost in in the, um, the identity uh, and the struggle for success in the argument as it were. Um, the, the idea of banning them from schools, we've seen a, a certain number of social movements in this country in recent mm-hmm. months uh, where communities are getting together to try arrange and arraign a certain policy for certain areas. Uh, do you think that this is something that's going to spread across the country? How successful do we think that that approach could be? It's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? 
it is a tricky one and look on the face of it it sounds great and I remember when I first heard about it I spoke to Rachel Harper who's the principal in Greystones who was behind the movement I suppose that got most of the attention and it it sounds great in theory because I think the majority of parents of primary school age children would prefer that their children didn't have a phone I think the majority are there and like I said there's different reasons that people give in to phone um, to allowing their children to have phones maybe it's because they don't want their child to be the only person who doesn't have one but there are also reasons, valid reasons. They could be medical reasons. They could be worries about anxiety. There could be all sorts of reasons that parents make a different decision. And trying to implement what's called a ban, and Rachel, I suppose, goes to great lengths to try to explain it's not a ban. It's a voluntary code where parents are signing up. I think it sounds great. I'm not sure how successful it will be nationwide unless the minister really gets involved and really the department gets behind this. Because the idea, the voluntary part is is the so I suppose the the difficult part in theory everybody signs up and it's great and it just takes a couple of people breaking away from that voluntary voluntary movement and all of a sudden things are different and I do think demographics plays a role and I think we need to look at that too and different challenges maybe that people are facing and different situations that people are living in and different backgrounds and different work situations within a household and different reasons why parents might need to get in contact with parents or with their children so I don't think it's it's as easy to just roll it out as Sometimes it's almost sold, you know, when it when the movement started off and it got a lot of attention both nationally and internationally. And there was a lot of positivity about it. And I think most of us would love to see this, that we moved to a time where primary school children didn't have mobile phones. I mean, it sounds idyllic. Try, try and keep them as children for longer. But it's not without its own challenges. And I think sometimes when we get caught up in that um, excitement, you can kind of forget about some of the challenges. Like I said, the idea of, of schools overstepping the mark as one principal put it to me recently when I spoke to him about it why they wouldn't introduce something similar the idea of overstepping the mark you know educate parents educate children talk about responsible usage as opposed to to blanket bans and and there are so many differing views about what's the right approach to take that it is hard to see how it could be brought in nationwide I think we probably will see it grow more and more I'm certainly hearing from parents who have uh, spoken to their parents associations and spoken to their schools about trying to bring it in but I don't think a one size fits all is necessarily going to help in in the approach that schools take because I do think you'll have to take into account the numerous background factors it would be fantastic to think we could take this away from from this worry away from our primary school children because there's so much they can be exposed to when they're online Mm. and there's so many ways I suppose other people can access them too and parents often aren't familiar with parental controls and aren't familiar with the apps that children are using which is kind of terrifying you know sometimes they'll wash their hands of things a little bit and say oh well I don't understand it it didn't have this in my day and, and that's not really that's that, that's just not acceptable we're parents we have to try and familiarize ourselves and sure they're always one step ahead of us you know moving on to the next step yeah. and just as we're getting the hang of one I think so I think it'll I think without the department really getting behind it and trying to find a way that it can be brought in across the country I think we'll just see pockets of it as opposed to this big national movement growing because I think otherwise we might have already seen it because so many parents have their concerns about younger children having access to phone, but it's becoming normalized. It's very, it very quickly becomes normalized. You know, before we'd have been horrified at the idea of a nine-year-old having a smartphone, people might still be horrified, but they're not surprised. And I suppose that's that. That's what I suppose the concern is that if we don't maybe take some sort of action into trying to prolong childhood and trying to protect our children for a little bit longer, it will be normalized and there'll be no way back. This discussion and this debate exists exactly because of what you've outlined there, that um, 
when there was a time that you couldn't possibly believe that a child who was nine years old would have a smartphone. Uh, now, the expectation is that that's a dynamic that exists. And mm. from reading your work, it seems that the schools, uh, the teachers and any of the parents who've seen it where the children have been alleviated of their phone for either a period of time during the day, the whole day, or that, that they simply don't have one. The interactions, children amongst children, the, the stuff that you would hope to see come forward, mm-hmm. anecdotally anyway, seems to be doing so. It does. And that is really great to hear. You know, it's brilliant to hear that you're you're seeing more concentration. You're seeing more focus. Some of the uh, teachers and principals I spoke to even said it, it had a knock on effect at home as well, where children have become so used to not having the phone in school that when they went home, they were able to park it for a period as well. Now, this I suppose I'm talking about older secondary school students, mm. too, where we have that kind of difficulty um, because it's kind of accepted in secondary, you will have a phone, but that they learned maybe management of it better at home too. And and that we are seeing within yard in, in primary schools or that we're seeing in, in yard within sexual schools that phones aren't the only discussion, you know, in, um, in primary schools, they're not allowed to have phones in primary schools anyway. So the approach was very much to make sure that children didn't have them outside of school. So they were liaising with maybe um, local sports clubs and stuff. And everybody was kind of getting on board. If they got all the the schools together agreeing with them, they weren't feeling pressure from another child. Maybe he played with them at tennis or at football or at drama or whatever different activity the children might be doing because they still had that peer pressure then. So getting the whole community involved was brilliant. But, and it does it does, I suppose, pave the way for more interactions within within school and more positive interactions within school. And that's what I suppose what we want to see. We want to see kids playing. We want to see them interacting, we want to see them developing their social skills. But again, I suppose I'd always caution that we when we hear these really positive stories, we forget about maybe the slight maybe a bit of comfort that they are for the child who has who's anxious and maybe struggles with anxiety and knowing that phone was there to contact their parents again I'm probably referring more to secondary school because in primary school they're not allowed to have phones but in in secondary school knowing that they had access to their phones to contact home maybe a child who was being bullied that kind of comfort or children who maybe have a medical condition and the phone acts as a device as well as a medical device too so there are always the exceptions to the rule but for the most part yes it was really positive and these were really positive things because it meant that, you know, you didn't have that competitiveness happening or you didn't have children feeling that they were left out because if their parents made a decision not to have a phone, that their child couldn't have a phone. But a significant portion of the class had a phone. There was that them and us, that did the divide. It was the kind of the new cool. What's what's the latest cool thing to have? It's your, your smartphone. And if some didn't have it, it was really hard for parents to dig in their heels around that too because their children were effectively paying the price, they felt. Yeah. And instead... By, by bringing this in, not only do children get to interact and play more and, you know, be children, be actually be kids. But that pressure was gone as well. That who's got the latest phone is gone. The phone away box is an interesting one as well. That's uh, uh, just one of the many advents I'm sure we're going to see in which um, the schools endeavour to sequester these phones away even for a bit. Oh, it's a really interesting idea. The idea of this kind of clear box attached to a locker so that the kids um, have to put their phones in every day when they arrive at school and it goes into school. And there's a there's a document they sign up where they actually say the type of phone they have. They're trying to obviously get around. There's always the cute kid who knows, bring a second phone, you know, put one in the box and hide <laughs> the other one. So they'll always find the, yeah, the burner phone. Exactly. So they have to list what the name of their phone is and it's there. And sure, look, kids' schools are are 
well aware of, you know, teens since the dawn of time will chance their arms. So they'll be well aware of that and, and kind of keep an eye on it. But the idea that you put your phone into this clear box. So if at any given moment uh, a principal or a teacher can see if there's a load of phones missing or a couple of phones missing and question where that is, um, and, and it still allows the students to have their phones in school and maybe bring them into class if for some reason they were working on something on a project in class and they needed their phones for that to look up things. And they, it can be agreed, OK, class 3B has their phones for for um, a subject today for geography or something today and that they have it all out. That could be marked up in the in the office so that it's understood those phones will be missing from those lockers. But it was a, a good way for everybody to see it. And again, it brought back the idea of interaction and schools can adopt the adapt policy to suit them. If they decide the students are allowed phones at lunchtime, so be it. Or they can decide, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to leave the phones there and encourage that interaction and mixing and getting to know each other, that kind of whole social aspect of things amongst teenagers, that they can encourage that. But, but actually, Use it to suit their own needs, you know, have the box there, see the phones clearly out of way, because what, what they were finding and what Carl Hegarty who's behind that um, said was what they were finding was that even though you weren't allowed in theory to have your phone in class, it was that break in classes in secondary school where they move around and they go to different classes and they were taking out, take photographs mm. or have a chat or looking up whatever. And there was distraction immediately where if they're locked away in the phone away box, you still have the phone, you can still contact home if you need to um, later on because you're Mr. Train or whatever other reason you might need to be in contact with something, you still actually have it there or take it out for class. But you didn't have the distraction of it in between classes, which was when uh, was when typically a lot of teenagers were actually picking up the phone and just checking out what was going on on social media or looking something up or I mean, just messing around as teens do. It's what we do, isn't it? If in between mm. you're waiting for a bus, yeah. you're in the queue for the shops. <laughs> There's no judging anybody for doing it. Mm-hmm. But when they're in an educational setting, they're developing minds and developing young people. Uh, we just don't know what impact this level of screen time and yeah. con- connectedness to the internet and all of that will have and to finish our discussion Jen and I appreciate you talking to us on health and fitness this evening um, we actually don't know what it is are the consequences we are concerned about we've seen some of the consequences play out but ultimately how these people develop into adulthood we're only going to learn almost after the fact so caution is certainly the watchword of the parents and probably the teachers Absolutely. It's funny. I remember uh, somebody once saying to me, he believes phones will be the smoking of our generation, you know, in the future. What will it be like? And it's only time will tell, as you so rightly pointed out there, what it, what impact it will have. And I, I suppose for us growing up, remembering a time before phones, we can see how much they've taken over our lives. But for children and teenagers who are digital natives, this is all they've ever known. So it'll be the future before we really understand what what level of impact it's had on them in so many ways, physically, mentally, you know, because it's across the board, you know, if they're online, they're perhaps not being as active as they might have been otherwise. If they don't have to go out to meet pals, there's the whole social aspect of it. But there's the good side of these things too. And we did see it through COVID. And I think we have to be somewhat careful not to vilify it completely because it does help people feel connected. And, you know, it does give you that opportunity if you um, to talk to your friends, to talk to others with similar interests. For all the dangers that there are, there are also really great positives about it too. If, if if it's managed responsibly and if social media is used responsibly and if, if online activities are responsible, it's about, I suppose, they're developing minds, they're growing minds. It's about trying to get that balance right. And until enough time passes that we properly understand it, we don't probably know what that balance is yet. So a lot of it is guesswork and we just, we keep soldiering on and motoring through, through and hoping that we're making the right decision for our kids. 
as you aptly described it um, in your written piece, a minefield, but uh, one everybody mm-hmm. is earnestly trying to traverse. Uh, Jen Hogan of the Irish Times, thanks once again for talking to us on Health and Fitness this evening. My pleasure. Thank you. After the break, you'll hear about how bad weather has dogged one Midlands Adventure race organiser and how he had to draw the line on safety somewhere. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood. With the Hearing Consultancy. Book a free hearing test at our clinics in Clara, Edenderry, Kinnegad, Mullingar, Tullamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids, ear protection, tinnitus help and more. Thehearingconsultancy.ie Midlands 103 Now, everybody has likely come across the sad news in relation to the uh, two fatalities that took place uh, in Cork during an Ironman swim uh, over the course of the weekend. Uh, At this stage, naturally, uh, people ask questions of um, what could or should have been done either prior, during or afterwards. Uh, However, as uh, is often with the case of these things, the answers are never clear. Uh, For a bit of context, I'm very glad to say that uh, Lilliput Adventure Centre uh, owner and manager Frankie Wright has uh, uh, joined me on the line. Frankie, thanks for taking our call. You're very welcome. No problem. Um, I think the first thing to uh, point out here is that uh, it's been a tricky kind of summer to be running off events of this nature. From your own perspective in uh, Lilliput, talk us through the kind of stuff you've been dealing with in terms of the events that you would be running or uh, hosting and uh, the kind of measures you've had to take simply because the weather's been uh, acting the mess, really. Yes. Uh, first of all, can I offer my condolences to the mm. two families? It was a, a, tra- a terrible tragedy that happened over the weekend, and, and nobody goes away to take part in an event and ending up, you know, in that situation. But uh, I suppose from our own point of view, um, like everything that we did over the month of July and August has been has been tough. Our summer camps with your with our smaller children has been tough because it's been raining every day. Uh, on many occasions, we had to cancel our water sports, and that's just the things that you have to do. But from the from the uh, end of working with adults, I suppose who you can say make their own decisions. Uh, like every year, we host the Lilliput uh, Legend Adventure Race, which is we don't do the swim section; it's kayaking instead of swim. So it's kayak, cycle, run. Uh, that's always the third Saturday in July. Uh, this year we had to postpone it. We just couldn't go ahead with it because the weather was horrific. The winds and everything like that were so bad. Uh, and uh, even on the foot running on the mountains would have been so so dangerous and slippy. Uh, we moved it forward two weeks and thankfully we got to hold it uh, the, the, at the second time of asking. But uh, the event that we have that would be similar to Iron Man is our Celtic Warrior Weekend. Uh, and over that weekend we do the full Ironman distance. We do a half Ironman distance. We do marathons, half marathons, Olympic sprint. It's a huge weekend of, of triathlon and running that we have here. It's always the bank holiday weekend in August. Uh, on the 5th of August, which is a normal day that it should have been on, again, we had to cancel it because of the weather. It was just, we, we couldn't just go ahead with it. There was, uh, you know, it was totally unsafe to do it. Uh, we moved it forward to Saturday gone by, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be telling any lies or that. I'm a grown man, I'm 60 years of age. But on Saturday, I cried because I had to make the decision again to cancel the event. Um, it, it was it was so tough to make that decision because a lot of people that take part in these events don't realise the amount of work that goes in putting out signs and uh, you know the courses and organising like 400 2023 T-shirts, 42023 medals that are all going to be gone. Uh, no, <laughs> they're not going to be of any use to you going forward. But there's so much involved in it, and I mean the safety of the of the participants is my responsibility. So 
I have to make that decision on Saturday. But there's other uh, underlying things that people don't realise as well. When I was making that decision about you know the competitive part of the race that people couldn't uh, couldn't race properly because of the conditions that we were going to have, there's also the side of I mean people were travelling from Cork and Kerry and Mayo, and the, the road conditions were hazardous. There was wood trees down. There was wind. There was water on the road surface water. There was debris on the roads. You know so. That was another thing, the safety of the people, the competitors to actually get to us. And then the most important people for me are the young people that work here with us in Lilliput. They're amazing young people. There are instructors. Anybody who's taken part in events here in Lilliput will know that the energy that they put in on the roads, clapping you on and cheering you on when you're struggling, they'll give you a boost. You know, they'll dance on the side of the road, they'll have music and all that. And to put those wee kids out on the side of the road for 12 hours in horrific rain and wind and all the rest, it, it just, it, it wouldn't have been fair. It would have been cruelty. So we unfortunately have to make the decision to cancel. Now, you do, uh, you do get emails from people and they uh, give out and, uh, you know, oh, I was so much, I was a half an hour into my drive down and I've put so much effort into it and now you're cancelling it. And yeah, we understand that. I mean, people don't just turn up in the day to take part in these events. There's other Asking a lot of time and a lot of training and work and all the rest that goes into the event to prepare for it. But at the end of the day, your safety is my responsibility. And I just had to make that decision on Saturday. And it doesn't look like we'll get to reschedule the event this year. I don't know yet. Uh, but in view of what happened over the weekend, I, I really don't know if I have the appetite to do it again this year. But, uh, you know, safety has to be your number one. And we can't assess um, what kind of uh, processes were in place um, where the incidents happened over the course of the weekend from being outside of, of those processes. Uh, but uh, from the perspective of the outside, would you have had concerns about a swim of that length with the weather that we had uh, over the course of the weekend? 100%. If we were going ahead here on Saturday, we were reducing the, the swim distances dramatically uh, not again we, we operate on the side of a lake so our, our lake and water conditions weren't as severe as the videos that you see now again a video can be portrayed either way it can be you know you can show a video that'll show up oh my god this is horrific uh, if you're on the side of it should go ahead you know two minutes later you could show a different video that showed it's not so bad or whatever so it's hard to judge on that point from that point of view but our our big thing here was that and why we were going to reduce the distances if we went ahead would have been hypothermia if you were <laughs> exposed to that water because the water temperatures are way down after what we've had in the weather that we've had in July. Our water temperatures are down like by four to six degrees of what they normally would be. Um, so getting out of that water, having been exposed to it for over an hour, an hour and 20 minutes, an hour and a half, getting out and then getting on a bike to cycle, you know, hypothermia would have been a real risk. So uh, we had already decided that we were going to reduce the distances if we went ahead and then we just decided, no, we're, not, we're definitely not going to go ahead at all. So, yes, it, it would have been a concern. Okay, and again, for the purpose of context, you've alluded to it there, the pressures to actually run these events off are quite high and depending on how the event is structured and has been promoted and um, how much it's cost, those pressures can be uh, so much more than we understand or realise. So uh, judging these things, it's not always as clear as it might appear from the outside. No, absolutely. Like I said, the, the amount of time that people invest in, in the training and all the rest and preparing for these events, for a lot of people, like, I mean, this is a bucket list event, so, you know, an Ironman or a half Ironman, this is something that they're going to do once. They put a lot of time, a lot of effort into it and to get ready for it or whatever. Uh, 
you know, so there is there, there's huge pressure from from that point of view, uh, the, the the effort and time that you've put into it or whatever. But uh, you know, at the, at the at the end of the day, you know, you you have to make a decision, and unfortunately, uh, like. Just to put monetary terms on it, now we're a very small organisation, very small setup. We run, I would like to think that we run a really, really good, good event and all the rest. But both weekends would have cost us about fifteen grand each weekend to have it organised, ready to go, and then you have to stop it. Which, in comparison to what Ironman are, I mean, they're a huge multi-international company. Like, I mean, they're talking millions upon millions. It's nothing like us here in the Midlands. I could say it's a totally different setup altogether, or whatever. But at the same time, like I mean, they, they set a precedent. and I think it was in 2019, they actually already set a precedent themselves to cancel the swim section. In two, at the moment, certainly it was 2019, I'm just not too sure of the year, but they actually cancelled the swim section. They said that it wasn't safe to do it, and they cancelled the swim. A lot of people were annoyed about it and disappointed and all the rest, but everybody went home safe. So, yes, there is, and if you've seen me, because I organise these events myself, and then my wife and all the family and all the rest kick in in regards to the man, the fish looks after all the food end of it, and, you know, I mean, everything, we just, we never get anything other compliments for what we do here, but when you're out there for 12, 14, 15 hours putting out signs and directional signs and arrows and cautionaries and progress signs, and you take them down, and then two weeks later you, you put them out again, and then you're here at six o'clock in the morning taking them all down again. Like it's, it, 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 there is a lot in it. And believe me, the last person that wants to cancel an event in Lilyfoot is me because of mm. the work that goes into it. But yeah, safety has to be number one. I'm not saying they were right or wrong. I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't see the conditions. But as I said, they did set a precedent already for the cancel the, <coughs> where they cancelled the swim section a couple of years ago. Um, and during COVID, it was cancelled twice as well. So it, it wouldn't have been anything new for it to be cancelled as such. But there are a lot of underlying things. And then, as you said, the people, the participants, uh, are getting angry and getting annoyed. And you have to be able to take that and say, like, like I, I genuinely, as I said to you, on, on Saturday morning, I cried. I was here taking down all the stuff. People ringing me and I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I just, I can't do it. You know, like if I was waking up today, like waking up today to a bad email from somebody giving out and whinging and didn't get to do their events on Saturday, or waking up today for me to a tragedy, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to deal with. You no, know, it's, it's, a, it's a difference. It is. It's a it's a, a different thing, and and um, by a magnitude as well. Uh, the event itself then continued to its its finish, as it were. Um, there's many people reacting to the story, believing that uh, it, it should have been stopped in its tracks when um, the organisers knew what had happened during the swim. We spoke to um, a, a fitness instructor from the Midlands this morning uh, who runs a lot of ultramarathons and, and full marathon, full marathons, and, and he was saying, uh, look, it's just not what happens at these events. They're very, they, they're, they spread out over a large geography and and to, to call it off midway through would be impractical. It wouldn't really work. What would your perspective be on that? Should it have been stopped out of respect of the tragedy or is that an unrealistic expectation? Uh, no, I, I I would know Morris very, very well and I would have a lot of respect for Morris and his ideas and all the rest and I totally see where he's coming from and all the rest. But having said that, I mean, if 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 the event is marshaled properly, which it should be, and I'm sure it was, uh, and they should have been all in radio contact and all the rest. Uh, in in my opinion, it should have been cancelled. Like I mean, two people have died sure. in an event, and you continue on with it. Uh, and I mean, the logistics of uh, you know, it's it's to say that it was spread out all over the place and all that, which is their point. It surely is. But I mean, if there is an accident on the road, these people have to be made able to get contact to 
whoever, like the Order of Malta, honestly, a fantastic job for us here, uh, as in safety and, and first aid and stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, you have to be able to make contact with these people over there. So I'm assuming that all of the, the marshals out on course would have had direct contact with each other, let it be through radio or let it be through phone and phone numbers or whatever. Uh, so I don't think it should have been that huge a job. Uh, to put it into perspective, I suppose what happened, I have a very, very good friend, uh, Ger Prendergast is his name, and Ger won the Decaman here a few years ago in England. Okay, So the, the, the Deca Ironman is where you do an Ironman every day for 10 days. Okay, So it's a 3.8 kilometer swim, 180k bike, and a full marathon or 42k mm. run. But he also won the continuous Decaman. So, uh, de- uh, so instead of doing one each day, you do a continuous. So it was a 38 kilometer swim, 1800 bike, and a 420 kilometer run. His wife sent me a message yesterday saying she was never as relieved in her lifetime to see Jared coming out of the water. Right. So, you know, that puts into perspective what it was. So uh, I really think it should have been pulled. I, I mean, that's a personal opinion. That's not making slight of or making any decision on whether it should have went ahead or not. That's, I wasn't there. I can't decide that. But when the tragedy happened, I, I really think, Jesus, out of respect, hey, lads, listen, let's, let's pull this. Let's, let's stop it. That would be my opinion. Yeah, well, hopefully, if anything does come from everything that happened over the weekend um, it's that uh, there are certain things that uh, can be learned from it uh, otherwise uh, it's senseless tragedy is what has occurred in Cork over the course of the weekend uh, Frankie Wright owner and manager of Lilliput Adventure Centre uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us and uh, obviously look we wish you the very best particularly with the weather over the course of the next number of weeks <laughs> and months I think we've all earned a bit of a reprieve No problem at all thank you so much for the call thanks a million God bless Next on Health and Fitness, find out what an Offaly community is capable of when they unite for a common cause. Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods in association with the Hearing Consultancy with free hearing test clinics in Clara, Tullamore, Kinnegad, Mullingar Dental Clinic and now at Keen's Care Plus Pharmacy Eden Dairy, thehearingconsultancy.ie You're very welcome back to the programme. Now, our next story is ultimately about community development. We've mentioned on this show before the GAA has an ability to reach into every pocket of, an, of every parish with a great ability and uh, Ballinamere Community Development Project is uh, one such thing from the Ballinamere Club. Uh, we've got their secretary, Karina Carroll, uh, joining us. Karina, uh, uh, there's been mighty work done and planned uh, through the Ballinamere Community Development uh, Project. You might talk us through exactly what it is. Yes, yeah, so no problem. Um, yeah, a, a few years ago, I think it's about five years ago now, counting in the inactivity with COVID, we decided to. Um, approach a local farmer and and um purchase land to develop a second pitch um around that time we actually lost a young a boy on the road in Bellamere who's a member of our club Jack Wire so uh, it, it's finished out that we've named the pitch after after Jack Wire so it's the new Jack Wire pitch uh that's in, that's in addition to our first pitch um we also upgraded the first pitch with fencing we've a new playground we've a new stand a new walking track and we've a surface or car park 
So the one last touch, the activity uh, that's going on at the moment would just be finish off that development that we just leave it debt free. And that would be a huge achievement because we're we're talking about just a few short years to have gotten all that work done. Um, you guys must have been burning the candle at both ends to get through all of that. Oh yes, and look, the, the development committee that started there was there was nine of us. Um, a few people are new to the GA. Some are new to the community, um, and we got together. The initial idea was that we'd start a patron scheme, so we'd hope that we'd get a hundred people to give us a thousand euro, uh, be it over each month to give five euro or a half year to give five hundred or to give the full thousand. Um, and we would then be able to claim their tax back for those in the higher tax bracket. So we actually ended up getting 193 people to commit to that, so which gave us over 210,000 um, straight up. And then with the help of Vincent Malloy, um, with his experience with the lottery funding, we got some lottery grants as well. So we were well up over 500,000 in what we raised, um, and now it's really just to finish it off. So. Um, we had hoped with, the, with this latest fundraiser to hit around 100,000 and now we're on 122. Uh, how important is it to firstly deliver those facilities, the safety enhancements, um, giving you more capacity for the club to grow, uh, but also to do it uh, debt free because um, there's no point in enhancing and supporting this club if it were to fall into financial disrepair? Oh, definitely. And that wouldn't be a nice legacy for any of us to leave. And the idea would be that if we're debt-free in the development, then everything else can go back into the players and the club and the community and the underage coming through. So monies that we fundraising from now on. Our, our development committee is actually completely separate to our uh, committee. It's a development community committee. So the funds actually don't go into the club. They're completely towards the development. Um, now, that might change when the development is, is, is finished, but at the moment they are separate. So the club would still have to fundraise each day um, to, for, for ongoing activity and for, for we have three hurling teams at adult level in the club and we have an under 20 hurling team um, and we, we, we have our underage as well so um, there's still a lot of fundraising ongoing to keep the club afloat um, never mind to keep the development debt free so our lotto, our lotto would keep the, the club going a lot there and we have very very kind people in our area uh, who've all donated pitch signs and money towards pitch signs on the two new pitches yeah, as you outlined there, the club lotto is kind of crucial financial lifeblood to so many clubs across the country. Let's talk about the fundraiser this weekend. What's going on and where is it? Well, it actually started, I'd say the, the rollout have started in June. Um, uh, our Donald Malloy was, was, was pushing it the most, uh, um, excuse the pun with one last push, but um, Donald had always said if we got up, up near 100 participants to either walk, run, cycle, some people were even talk about canoeing, um, the distance which it is from Crow Park to, to Ballamere GA. Um, so we ended up actually getting 126 um, participants. Now some of these are international, um, some are um, Ballamere Gales that are up the country. I know Adrian Gaffey was up the north in, the, in Donegal. Um, so they all did it themselves, maybe virtually or, virtually, um, or some of them um, each day leading up to the big day was July the 15th. Um, they did their kilometres at home and posted on Facebook or sent it on to the group. So then there was kind of a more professional, if that's what I call it, to the cycling end. They t- started to train themselves. Um, I know there would, there would be lost without Tullamore Cycling Club who helped them and guide them. Mm. Um, and the, the end day was the 15th of July. That, that was a very, very bad day for weather. So we felt that the only people that could go ahead were the cyclists that were going to go from Crow Park. 
Now, they were lucky with the weather at the start of the day, but unfortunately it was downpour for the rest of the day. So they did set off from Crow Park and do the 109, to complete the 109 kilometres, and a few of us met them there. So the idea on the 15th of July was that the, the community would come back, we'd celebrate, we'd thank all the people who have helped with the development and also helped in this latest fundraiser. So that part of that day is now is now this Saturday, the 15th of July. It's in conjunction with the underage barbecue, which is held every year. Um, so they'll come back. They, the, the, those who signed up to do their walking will start on Strat Road at 3 o'clock. And the, the, the cyclists who didn't get the cycle from Crook Park are coming from Ballycommon. And that just finishes it up. We feel it needed an end. Um, we wanted to close down our link. And uh, we just really wanted to thank everyone. And the weather looked good this Saturday. Um, children are kind of home from holidays and stuff when, when school is starting next week. So we hope that the weather will stay up and that everyone will, will join us. And look, Ballinamere, um and our communities, they all play hurling and football together. Um, so we just wanted a big community day, really. It sounds like it's actually been a nice little coincidence of timing and, and circumstance whereby the one last push fundraiser, it, it was rained off, and but you can drop it in on the uh, Ballinamere Duro annual underage boys and girls barbecue. It sounds like you guys are going to have a, a, a lovely atmosphere this weekend. Yeah, look, sure. We all know the underage children co- coming to anything will, will add an atmosphere. Um, and they, that's, uh, the annual underage barbecue is always a great event in Ballinamere. It's actually the one time the children get to the pitches and they can actually do what they want. They can have free play, as we call it. They're not coming down for a structured training session, so they actually enjoy that. Mm. And they run around for a couple of hours. And then Pat Cleary and his team run the barbecue. Um, and there's a great kind of um, volunteerism about that. There's 11, 12 people that cook five, 600 burgers and cater for, for the rest of the community for the whole day. Well, you've caught me in a moment where I'm actually in need of a bite eat, so I'm struggling not to salivate now that you brought up or invoked the uh, the burgers. Um, what about the club itself, Karina? Uh, As a secretary, then you, you've been been across its operations. You have an idea and a perspective on um, how many lives it touches. Uh, what actually got you into the GAA world? What got you into volunteering and so much of your time for your club? Oh, well, look, um, obviously I started my days playing. Um, as a girl, I, I actually played with the boys for Ballamere Doro and um, Martin Buggy, um, um, who's passed away. Um, he included me and all the boys teams up to under 16. Back then, girls could play to, to under 16. And I will always say that myself and, and Tullamore Camogie Club then, who I moved on into, just started my love for the GA. I was obsessed. Um, my mother played, my father played, and I was obsessed. Um, and I played all my years and um, I gave up a few years ago and I turned straight into coaching. Coaching, I I sometimes actually feel that I enjoy coaching more than I did playing. I um, I, I took up a role in Offaly GA for a while, but um, at the end I got back to Ballymere and I felt I just always had to give back and that was probably think th- 13 years ago I started with the underage with Michael Dygan and Pat Cleary and Stephen Ravenhill and we grew our underage and the underage has 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 grew significantly. It started at 110 and now with the addition of a girls club it's at 501 children in the club. So the next step then was to step onto the senior as all these boys were coming out of the underage So and the senior secretary there for a couple of years. Look, um, it's, it is very hard work. Um, it's non-stop. The phone is non-stop. WhatsApp is non-stop. But I can't say I don't enjoy every minute of it. Um, sometimes you're never a profit in your own land when decisions have to be made. But there's a great working committee in Valdemir. They're all 
people who have come from the underage, so they know all these players coming up. And it is a credit to the club. They're fielding three adult teams um, with subs on the junior B team. So that's up to probably 70 players talking out every second week in the championships. They always have. They also have an under-20 team. And then the underage then that just adds to that with 28 teams. And look, for the first time in a long time, there's a massive buzz about our senior hurling this year. And we're in the shake-up. We won't get too far ahead of ourselves. Mm. But it would be fantastic if Ballinamere... Um, uh, just got the next step. I'd say this was all our, in all our, our minds years ago when we started that we would get the underage up to A-level and then move on and hopefully win a senior hurling. So the next step, I was at uh, O'Connor Park actually just on Sunday when you were playing Belmont. Uh, the next step, would it be a county final? Would it be winning a county final? Well, we lost the, the, the quarterfinal last year. We, we, we let ourselves down nearly in the quarterfinal last year. Um, the steps generally was we'd win a minor A and we did that, we won two of them and then went on to win under 20 A's. So, look, we are breaking through. Um, the next step, really, I'd say for Niall Rigney and his team is just to try um get over Shinron in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and then if we if we are lucky enough to to, to defeat Shinron, we're in straight into a semi-final. If not, we're back to a quarter-final. So, um, a semi-final is a, is a step ahead of where we've ever got before. It is another level of history, but... Um, I'd rather win um, a county title than create history to be honest Okay well um, no shortage of determination coming from the administrators at uh, Ballinamere and uh, the best of luck with all of the senior and junior operations at Ballinamere Duro uh, specifically one last push and the big barbecue this weekend Karina uh, Carroll Secretary of the club thanks for taking the time to talk to us on Health and Fitness Yeah and just before just to thank everybody that continues to support Ballinamere and Ballinamere are on the underage. It's, um, it's, it's fantastic each night of the week to see the pitches full. Um, and that's a really, I think, what keeps me going to see a child going out training in a nursery at four years of age, but the seniors are coming down at a gym um, who we have also probably involved in coaching. And it's, hi, Karina, hello. And everybody's chatting to each other. And I, I think um, we say we want county titles, but when you go down to an atmosphere like that, or you see a young child wearing the club jersey and looking up to a six foot tall centre back on our senior hurling team is that that's what you want and they want to be there and we just have to keep it going and, and but thanks to everybody that continues to support Ballinamere and Ballinamere Durrell yeah, That's what community is all about isn't it Karina? It is yeah that's Brilliant. it You've been great with your time thanks very much once again No problem thank you Yeah big well done to everyone who is part of the Ballinamere Community Development Project After the break we're going to check in on ACT the Affordable Counselling Group in Tullamore Health and Fitness with David Hollywood in association with The Hearing Consultancy. Passionate about hearing and hearing health, we use the latest technologies to identify and analyse hearing issues and provide their solutions. Book a free test on thehearingconsultancy.ie Now there's a nostalgia night taking place in uh, the Phoenix in Tullamore this weekend and it's all in support of ACT, Affordable Counselling Tullamore. Uh, So if you are heading down to that event or you are wondering uh, what it is that ACT do and why they might merit support, then it's worth checking out our conversation here. This is uh, Chloe Farrell speaking uh, to Lisa O'Connor, who is one of the co-founders of ACT. So ACT is um, Accessible Counselling Tullamore and we are a community counselling centre. And we're based in Millennium House and Main Street in Tullamore. ACT um, provides accessible, affordable and timely counselling to people uh, aged 14 and over from all across the Midlands. And people come to us for a wide range of issues, 
including anxiety, stress, bereavement, addiction, um, and any kind of general worries or issues they're, they're having in their life. How did ACT start? So ACT started, um, we opened our doors um, in January 2020. Um, it was started by myself and my late husband, uh, James O'Connor. Um, James would be um, would have been a huge mental health advocate. Um, he had suffered um, a breakdown um, in his younger years and had shared his story after two young guys that he knew um, both died by suicide. So he shared his own story. And from there, he became an ambassador for Sea Change, which is the National Stigma Reduction Programme. And it was through that then that we decided to open ACT as a place where people you know, could, could come and talk about their issues in a profe- professional and a secure environment. Now, just what you mentioned earlier as well about it being accessible and affordable. How important is it to have a facility like that for people? I think it's vitally important. Um, I think access to mental health services on a whole is quite hard for people. And a lot of people maybe might know how to access private counselling or mightn't be in a position um, to be on long waiting lists um, through the HSE. And also a lot of people maybe aren't in a position to afford private counselling. So here at ACT, we would hope that uh, we cater you know, for everybody and we would ask that clients would just make a contribution towards the cost of the sessions here. So it makes it affordable and accessible for everybody. And just again to further on about it being affordable. So I believe uh, that Tullamore Harriers are having numerous fundraisers tomorrow and the money is going towards yourselves. How important are these fundraisers for you? So fun- fundraising is vitally important for us here at ACT. Um, We're not government funded, so we do rely on the support and generosity of the community. And fundraisers like the Harriers for Act that's going on tomorrow night um, is a a great example of it. Just my last question then, what message would you have for somebody who may need a service like Act? I would say that reach out. um, Reach out to us here at Act. Um, you can get us a number of ways um, through our phone number 05793-52879. You can text uh, appointment to 083-3555-951. You can find us on our website, accessiblecounselling.ie. You'll find us on all the social media channels uh, under Accessible Counselling to more. Um, and if you're not ready, perhaps maybe to... Uh, come to counselling, I would say reach out to a, f- a family member, a friend, talk to somebody. There's always somebody willing to listen and you're not alone. That's our lot on health and fitness for another week. I've been David Hollywood. That means I'm very grateful to Chloe Farrell for her help on the show. A big thanks to our guests, Jen Hogan, Frankie Wright, Karina Carroll and Lisa O'Connor. Country Roads is about to bring you deep into Friday night. Before that, we have the eight o'clock news. Take care and talk to you soon.